morning, TLC. That bumper video is pretty cool, but how about that community time video? So good, right? You're like, why is this Thanksgiving? To, to be honest, we had some technical difficulties last week. We were not able to show that video, and it was so good. Like, I have seen a lot of these community time videos, and when Jake did the Disney Channel thing, like, I was by myself in my office on, like, a Tuesday, and I saw that when he sent it to me, and I was just crying. I was laughing so hard. So great. Um, hey, good morning. I want to introduce you guys uh, to the Shuey family. The Shuey family, they live in Illinois, and uh, this is their house. This is their Christmas decorations. And uh, you may be like this morning, like, dang, Austin, like, why is the Shuey family getting all the shine? Like, those are cool, but have you seen my house? Like, I look like Clark Griswold right now in my house. Like, I balled out on my Christmas lights. Why are they getting the shine? Here's the deal. Those, can we keep that picture up? Uh, the Christmas decorations at the Shuey family are unique. Now, what makes these Christmas decorations unique is not the abnormally tiny deer, although those are really tiny, right? Uh, what makes their decorations unique is not the fact that they have a squirrel inflatable with a Christmas. I don't know what is Christmassy about a squirrel, to be honest with you. No, what makes these Christmas decorations unique is the fact that they have been up since before Halloween this year. Some person is clapping in the back. We know where they fall on the Christmas timeline debate. Now, before you go throwing shade at the Shuey family, my guess is that they are not alone. You may not have decorated before Halloween, because that's insane. Like, the Shuey family had trick-or-treaters showing up in Halloween costumes and Santa next to them. Like, that's insane. But uh, my guess is that many of us have decorated for Christmas early this year. If you're online this morning, I need you to just say yes or no to this simple question in the chat. And if you're not a chat person, be a chat person this morning. It's fun to engage, all right? So, yes or no, did you decorate for Christmas earlier than normal this year. And for those of us in the room, I'd love to see a show of hands. How many of you decorated for Christmas this year earlier than you normally would in years prior? Yeah, well, like we decorate when we get home from Thanksgiving usually, but we decorated the week before Thanksgiving this year. Now, so for those of us raising your hand, don't be ashamed. You're not crazy. You're not alone. In fact, the Washington Post ran a story just last week, the week of Thanksgiving, talking about this very thing, this trend that is kind of sweeping, uh, the, or I guess it's not sweeping anymore, it's, it's here now, but it swept the country, that Christmas light sales were, have been higher than ever before, that more homes were lit before Thanksgiving than ever before. So wherever you fall on the Christmas timeline debate, if you're that person in the back who's clearly a Christmas music all year round person, or if you're like a post-Thanksgiving zealot, wherever you fall on that timeline or, or on that debate, we can all agree that the Christmas season came early this year. But why? Why, why is that? See, I think it's because, well, actually, I don't think. Like, I know, and it's not because I'm a genius. We all know that it's because people are yearning and searching for hope in a very trying time, in a very trying season. They're reaching out, like quite literally, for light in the midst of darkness. And this isn't the first time this has happened. In fact, there's testimonies of like in World War I, soldiers doing the very same thing, like decorating for Christmas way earlier uh, than normal. Oddly enough, actually, the Spanish flu pandemic of 1918 uh, there are reports of the very same thing, people decorating for Christmas and shopping for Christmas much earlier than usual. You see, as they have done in the past, people are yearning and searching for hope in the midst of a trying, dark, hurting, and weary world. And that's exactly what Advent brings us, is hope. This morning we begin our new series, Weary World Rejoices, 
an Advent series. Advent is a time where we as the church, we look forward to and we expect the coming of God to break into our lives in a new and a fresh way. In Advent, we celebrate the arrival of God. Advent is short for Adventus, which means arrival. And we coined this series, Weary World Rejoices, because we are a weary world. Like 2020 has been a year full of sadness and pain and hurt and darkness. Pandemic, anxiety, uncertainty, fear, loss, death, racism, injustice, an exhausting election. The list goes on and on and on. This year has been full of sadness, full of pain, and has left many of us feeling dark and without hope. My guess is uh, that there's people this morning who feel that way, who feel dark, without hope. And if you don't feel that way this morning, maybe you felt that way yesterday. Or if you didn't feel that way yesterday, maybe two days ago. You see, I think many of us, almost all of us, can agree that we are a weary world. And so this morning, I want to welcome you and let you know that you are in the right place. Uh, Would you turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40? Uh, We're going to be reading uh, the first five verses of Isaiah chapter 40. This was our Advent reading, a portion of our Advent reading this morning. And as you do that, I'm curious, do we have any poetry fans in the room or online? If you're a poetry fan, uh, just say like, yes, with an exclamation mark in your favorite poem or poet or something. Do we have any poetry? We have one poetry fan uh, in the room. He's right up here. He's got a Kirk Cousins jersey on. How old are you, Nazi? Nine. He's a nine-year-old and he loves poetry. I love that. That's awesome. I wish I was like Nazi. I do not can't say that I love poetry, but here's the thing. I want to love poetry. Like, I want to love it, but if I'm honest, when I read poems that don't rhyme, which, like, any poem that's, like, legit doesn't rhyme, you know? So um, when I read a poem that doesn't rhyme, I'm, I walk away, and I'm like, I don't think I got it. I don't get it. Uh, I don't understand. But I want to so bad. So I'm hoping that that comes with age, that that comes with wisdom, that I soon will enjoy poetry that does not rhyme. And uh, the reason I ask is because the passage we're going to read this morning, these first five verses in Isaiah, well, they are poetry. Isaiah is writing poetry in this this passage of of Isaiah. And it doesn't rhyme in English. It may have rhymed in Hebrew. I'm not really sure. I don't speak Hebrew. Uh, But this poem is a, a powerful, powerful poem. It's written by Isaiah, and he's actually writing it into the future. He's writing a poem to the Israelite people anticipating the captivity and the exile that the Israelites are going to experience. You see, the the first part of Isaiah is Isaiah actually telling the Israelites about this captivity and about this exile that they're going to experience. And when they don't really listen, and so Isaiah says, okay, I'm going to kind of write some stuff into the future, anticipating just the questions and the doubts and the feelings that the Israelites, my people, are going to experience. And so he writes this poem as a way to assure them that uh, the God of Israel has not been defeated by the Babylonian gods who have taken uh, the Israelite people into captivity. He writes this poem to assure them that God, their God of Israel has not been defeated by their own sin and that God is on the way. So uh, would you read with me this morning Isaiah chapter chapter 40, verses 1 to 5, it says this, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed and that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. 
a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make a straight in the make a straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God speaks comfort. God speaks deliverance. God speaks restoration. Now notice the context that God speaks these things into. In verse 3 it says, in the wilderness. In the wilderness. Uh, do we have any outdoorsy people here? We're in like West Michigan. I feel like it's kind of like an outdoorsy. Any, any outdoorsy people? Yeah? Online? Yeah, raise your hand in your, in your, in your bed or wherever you're at. I'm an outdoorsy person. Uh, I am not an outdoorsy person. Like, at all, okay? Uh, the people who know me in the room, they're like, yeah, he's telling the truth. I'm not an outdoorsy person. However, when I was in middle school, somehow I got roped in to going on this five-day spring break, like, backpack through the Appalachian, not through the entire thing, a little part of the Appalachian Trail, like a five-day hike. I have no idea how I was pressured into this. Uh, it was with some family friends, and I was going with, with some of them. But the rest of my family, they were like, no way. And I think I just kind of like felt the pressure to do that. So the rest of my family, they kind of followed us like along uh, on the like not Appalachian Trail and they stayed in an RV on a campsite. And if my memory serves me right, actually, like a day or two into that, they, the campsite was like too rough for them in the RV. So they had to go get a, like a hotel. So like just to tell you like where I'm coming from, okay, the family that I, I grew up in. So I decided, oh yeah, I'm gonna go do this like five day Appalachian Trail hike, okay? So uh, at the beginning, like, it was great. I was with one of my buddies, Seth, and we were super excited. This is our first 30 minutes. We looked like this. Look at that, Austin. He's, like, got his backpack. That's, I'm the one on the left in the blue shirt, in case you couldn't tell. Uh, all excited, you know, I'm, like, ready to go. That, that was in the first 30 minutes. And then uh, about an hour in, uh, I was like, well, this is pretty easy, but yeesh, it's kind of boring. Like, I'm just kind of walking. Like, I got this, like, 30-pound backpack, like, What's the deal here? Do people really do this? So I, I get to the end of the night. We set up our camp or whatever. And I wake up the next morning uh, to like drops of water, like on my head, like drop, drop, drop. And I'm like, what the heck? I open my little tent door thing and I realize that it has snowed. It has dropped like 20 degrees. It snowed like all night. And now the snow is melting and seeping through my tent and dripping on my forehead. I was in the wilderness, okay, like that, I was in the wilderness, and I did what any hiker would do. I got up, I brushed the snow off my hiking sticks, I wrapped my tent up, and uh, we got going, okay? Now, the day went on, and I got colder and colder and colder. I got more and more miserable. I started to miss, like, the sound of cars, and the sound of people, and the sight of restaurants, and, like, my suburban, like, city life. I just wanted it all back. And uh, my friend and I, we went from looking all happy uh, like this, and we started to look a lot more like this. Oh, my buddy Seth. Seth, if you're watching this, I'm sorry that uh, we, I had to put you on blast and myself. Uh, that's what we looked like. Like, we were done. I was so tired. I was cold. I was miserable. This is in the middle of the second day, okay? So we get to the end of the second day, and my group, uh, this is our whole group I have a picture of, we end up in this, like, shelter, this little open shelter. And I am so cold, I'm in the corner of the shelter, shivering, entering, like, the first stage of, like, hypothermia, 
I think. Uh, I'm not a doctor, but I think it was the first stage of hypothermia. I had like one of those emergency blankets that looked like aluminum foil on, like I was freezing. And my friend's grandma, she's the second one from the right. Her name is Meme. She goes by Meme, like a, like a meme. I don't know where that name came from. It's been there forever, as long as I know. Her name is Meme. She opens her backpack. She's done in the shelter, she's freezing. She opens her backpack and she starts throwing everything out. She starts throwing her tent out. She throws her clothes out. She throws her food out. And Meme is like, I'm done. I'm getting off this trail. We are done. I am freezing. And I'm in the corner shaking. And I'm like, I'm with Meme on this one. <laughs> right? And so we got off the trail after two days. We, we called our family. We got off the trail. I took the most warm, delicious, satisfying shower of my life. And I have never been back to the wilderness. Okay? <laughs> because the wilderness, the wilderness is, is hardcore. Now, Isaiah, Isaiah is not talking about the wilderness and the Appalachian Trail for some suburban kid that, like, can't handle it. Isaiah is talking about the wilderness of the soul. Walter Brueggemann uh, dis in, describes the wilderness that Isaiah is talking about, and he says this, The wilderness is the place where the power for life is fragile and diminished. The inhabitants of the wilderness are those with weak hands and feeble knees and fearful hearts. Those who have had their vitality crushed, and their authority nullified, and their will for life nearly defeated. I want to read that last part again. Those who have had their vitality crushed, and their authority nullified, and the will for life nearly defeated. My guess is many of us, as I read that, resonated with some of those words. I was on a Zoom chat with some rooted leaders this week, and uh, they were kind of sharing this feeling. And I said, I feel the same way. My vitality feels like crushed right now. But this place, this vi place where vitality is crushed, this wilderness, this, this place is the place where God speaks to the Israelite people. It's the place where God comforts them. It's the place where God promises to deliver and to restore these people. You see, this poem represents that God is on the way. The Israelite people, they were in the wilderness of the soul. They're in exile and they're in captivity. And they read this poem, they hear this poem, and they are reminded that God is on the way. And so it's no surprise that this poem captured the imagination of the Israelite people. That they began to pass this poem down from generation to generation to generation. And so we see it pop up again and again and again in Scripture. Later on in the Old Testament and even into the New Testament. And you're like, well, it's easy to say that. Prove it. Okay, I'll show you. I promise. It's, uh, if you turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, uh, we're going to read the first three verses of Mark and even if you do believe me, uh, we're going we're gonna to read these first three verses in Mark. Mark says that the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Sound familiar, right? 
Notice that Mark begins his telling of the entire story of Jesus. Jesus' life, Jesus' death, Jesus' miracles and his teachings, all of it. Mark begins his entire telling of the story of Jesus with this poem from Isaiah. Why would Mark do that? Some people think, some people say that, well, since Isaiah is like a prophet, Mark is basically, by starting his story, the story of Jesus with this poem, Mark is basically saying like, hey, look, look, Isaiah was right. Like Isaiah, like 400 years ago, Isaiah was right. Isaiah was talking about Jesus, and now Jesus is coming. Isaiah was right. But this poem from Isaiah that Mark is referencing, that was written like 400 years ago. And if the the only thing that Isaiah's poem was talking about was Jesus, then that basically would have been like God coming to the Israelite people who are in exile, who are in captivity, who are in a wilderness of the soul, and God saying like, hey, Hey, I know it's tough right now, all right? Have some comfort. I'm, I'm on the way. It's just going to be 400 years. The Israelite people would have been like, oh, oh, so you're telling me that my great, 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 great grandson and granddaughter, like they're going to be okay. That's awesome, but what about me? Like that would have been like uh, when, me, like when I was in middle school and high school, uh, I would call my mom all the time or my dad, but mostly my mom after like practice or high or after practice or school or whatever, because I was hungry and I needed like my third lunch or my second dinner or whatever meal that I needed at the time. And I called my mom to be like, hey, mom, I'm hungry. Like, when are you going to be home? I need some food. That would have been like my mom answering the phone and be like, hey, Austin, hey, sweetie, sweetie, it's going to be okay. All right, it's going to be okay. I've got some food. I'm on the way. It's just going to be four weeks. I hung up the phone and like ate all the mac and cheese I possibly could. Like, no way. That's not comforting. That's not delivering. That's not restoring. You see, the poem in Isaiah that, that, that Isaiah wrote, God was speaking to the Israelite people in real time. God was comforting them in real time. He was protecting them and wanted to deliver and restore them in real time. And God did that. So I think what Mark is actually doing What Mark is actually saying by including this poem from Isaiah at the beginning of the story of Jesus, what Mark is doing is something that uh, all of the New Testament writers do, that all of the gospel writers do. It's what biblical scholars call reading backwards. Everyone say reading backwards. Reading backwards. backwards. Online, since I know you probably didn't say it the first time, let's say it the second time. Reading backwards. Yeah, thank you. Reading backwards is uh, what the New Testament writers would do often. They would look back towards the Old Testament, poems and scriptures, poems like in Isaiah 40, and they would reinterpret those poems based on Jesus. We say this all the time. Jesus changes everything, right? And Jesus changes, changed everything for the writers of the New Testament who were, who were engrossed and knew all of the scripture of the Old Testament. And then Jesus came and they said, whoa, Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes the way that we understand this scripture. And so what they would do is they would retell and they would, they would use the, a poem like Isaiah 40 and they would use that to retell and reimagine the story of God's people in light of Jesus. In fact, this poem from Isaiah is one of the few things that appears across all all four of the Gospels. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this poem from Isaiah that just represents that God is on the way, even in the wilderness, appears in all four of the Gospels. It's as if each writer of the Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they wanted to make this point abundantly clear. That the rescuing, the comforting, the delivering, and the restoring that God has done in the past, God is most ultimately clearly and finally doing in this person who is here now, Jesus. 
Even more boldly, they're stating that the God who comforted, rescued, delivered, and restored the people of Israel is here on earth now in the flesh to do that for everyone. You knew him as Yahweh. We know him as Jesus. But this morning, you're probably like, well, I don't really feel comforted right now. I don't feel rescued. I don't feel delivered, and I definitely don't feel restored. I feel like I'm in the wilderness. I feel weak. I feel tired. I feel without hope, my vitality crushed. Because make no mistake, friends, we are in the wilderness. We are in the wilderness. But just like the Israelites, and this is the good, more, the good news this morning that I need you to hear, just like the Israelites, God wants to speak to us in our wilderness. God wants to comfort us in our wilderness, and ultimately, God wants to deliver and to restore us out of our wilderness. God shows this most clearly and makes this so clear in the life of Jesus. You see, we ultimately, we have the same opportunity as the people who wrote the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they they looked at their story, and they looked at their situation, they looked at their wilderness, and they retold it, they reimagined it in light of Jesus. And make no mistake, this didn't take them out of the wilderness, It didn't take them out of the the anxiety and the fear and the uncertainty of of living as a Jewish people in in the Roman Empire and all the complications that uh, happened as a result of that. It didn't take them out of that wilderness, but it did take the wilderness out of them. Here's what I mean. You can live in a time, you can live in a place plagued by darkness and sadness and hurt and no hope, but that does not mean that those things have to live in you. Just because you live in the wilderness doesn't mean the wilderness has to live in you. You can hold on to the hope that God wants to speak to you, that God wants to comfort you, that God wants to ultimately deliver and restore you out of your wilderness. See, ultimately we have the same opportunity that the writers of the gospel had or took In this Advent season, we have the opportunity to retell and to reimagine the story of our year and the story of our lives in light of the coming of Jesus. It's a story filled with hope and joy and peace and love. It's a story that changes everything. And it's changed everything for Brian and Callie Britton. This morning, as we're talking about wilderness, it can be so easy to kind of be like, yeah, wilderness, it's like a head idea, whatever. And it can be, uh, it, and it can be difficult to actually imagine what this looks like. And we forget that this is like real stuff that we're all dealing with and sadness and anxiety and depression and all of this stuff. And so I wanted to just share this morning or allow Brian and Callie to share a little bit about a wilderness that they have been through and the hope and the comfort that God provided them in that wilderness. So would you just watch and listen to Brian and Callie's story? Hello, PLC family. My name is Brian Britton. This is my lovely wife, Callie. 
here to tell about a particular time when we were in the wilderness. Son, Hun, why don't you tell the story about our family journey? Mm. Um, we spent a lot of time in the wilderness, um, over a decade in the wilderness, um, specific to trying to start a family that we felt God very much so intended for us to do, just by the way he had filled our hearts for children and for family. Um, we just knew that we were going to be amazing parents and parents of many, and um, that actually wasn't God's plan at all. Um, and um, the time we spent in the forest was intense. Sadness, darkness, confusion, alone, shame. You know, where are you, God? I must have asked that a few times. Um, unanswered prayers for over a decade. That's a long time. And that can really weigh heavily on a person's heart and soul and faith. Um, I think of a specific time when after a decade, we had finally gotten pregnant and then we very quickly lost that child. And when everyone around us was expecting um, us, at least me, to come undone, um, the opposite happened. In my recovery, I felt completely enveloped in God's love and passion for me. The way he rescued me from that time and that sadness, that's not what makes me emotional, the sadness and the pain. What makes me emotional is how much he loved me and how much he helped me. So why don't you tell, uh, tell how the story ends? <laughs> the good part of the story. So after that, Brian and I worked really hard on praying together about God's plan and listening for his plan and preparing our hearts to do whatever the plan was. And when he finally spoke to us, it was he wanted us to foster. And we were shocked and it didn't seem like us. And everyone once again around us was terrified and scared. We weren't going to make it. We were terrified and scared we weren't going to make it. Yeah, because the whole thing about the foster system is, in most cases, you bring a child into your family and then you end up having to give the child back, right? And we're just not the giving of children <laughs> back kind of people. No. <laughs> <laughs> nope. So then what happened? So um, we fostered and adopted our three little knuckleheads that we blessings. have now. And that wasn't easy either, right? I mean, that took uh, three years, really. Um, and there was a lot of bumps and like Kelly said, very scary. And I, I think I walked away with four things, um, from that whole experience in the wilderness. First, this concept of wandering versus waiting. Uh. We were wandering, looking for solutions. Um, especially, especially my wife. Um, but when we decided to sort of pitch a tent in the wilderness uh. and just wait there and, and get a clear direction on which way to go then that's when things really started to happen. The second thing um, was this concept of just trusting God and obeying. Um, we, we, we had to have um, a lot of hard conversations with ourselves about, are we really able to do this? But we just said, you know, we're gonna trust God because we clearly heard we were supposed to do right. this. And it was a scary path forward, but he held our hands the whole way. Mm -hmm. um, and then third, the last two are like duh things, right? So duh, uh, uh, just the way that we felt that God really saw us and loved us and cared for us, mm -hmm. right? The reality of that, we all know um, 
as Christians, yeah, yeah but, but, but when something like this that's tangible and happens, you just feel that even more, and, and you can come back to that time and time again. And the last is similar. It's another duh again, which is God is real, and he mm. does miracles. Um, the way that our family was formed was nothing other than a miracle. There's no way to describe it. And so um, facing challenges ahead of us or other challenges, um, we can do that knowing that God's done a miracle before. He can, he can fix or solve whatever the issue is in front of us. But the problem that I have is too often um, I get blurred vision, right, or short-term memory. And I, when I look back, I don't remember correctly or see exactly what he did, right? But when I do, then I have much more confidence. So anyway, it was fun to share this story with you all. Can't wait to see everybody. Love you. Hello, TLC. Thanks, Brian and Callie. Uh, I love their story. I love their video. Two things that I love that they said that I just want to point out. First, their wilderness was 10 years. They spent 10 years in the wilderness. And it's so easy to feel like, gosh, I just want this to be done. I want this to be over. But sometimes the wilderness is exactly where God wants us. God wants to speak to us and comfort us in our wilderness and that's the second thing I love that Brian said. Brian said the difference between wandering and waiting. I got this video last night, late last night, and I said, dang, I should have just had Brian come teach this message. <laughs> he said the difference between wandering and waiting, he said it wasn't until we decided to pitch a tent in the wilderness and wait. And I think this morning that God is asking us to pitch a tent in our wilderness. To sit in our wilderness this morning and look forward to, hold on to the hope of the coming of Jesus and pay attention to the ways that God wants to speak to us right now and comfort us right now and then ultimately deliver and restore us. So I want to close with this. There's an imperative in this poem, a statement. It says to prepare the way for the Lord. And in this Advent season, as we anticipate the hope and the comfort and the eventual deliverance that Christ will bring us in our wilderness, I want us to reflect on two things this morning. I'm going to give us 30 seconds of silence to reflect on these two things this morning. First, what is your wilderness? What is your wilderness? Maybe it's COVID. Maybe it's the anxiety, the fear, the uncertainty that it's brought on. Maybe it's something similar to Brian and Callie trying to start a family and dealing with some of the obstacles that may be in the way. Or maybe it's a relationship with a family member, or a friend, or a husband, or a wife, or a boyfriend, or a girlfriend, or maybe it has to do something with work. I don't know what it is, but you do. What is your wilderness? The second thing that I want to ask you to reflect on this morning is how can you prepare a way for the Lord in that wilderness? I love what Isaiah says. It says like a highway to our God. Basically, how can we pitch a tent in our wilderness and start building that highway? What's one thing that you can do to prepare the way for the Lord in your wilderness this morning? So I'm going to give us like 30 seconds to a minute to reflect on those two things right in your notebook, right on your phone, however you want to do this really quick. What is your wilderness and what is one thing that you can do to prepare the way for the Lord in this Advent season?
All right, I'm going to pull you out of that. You can continue that later on if you need to. I'm going to move us into a time of worship this morning, time of response this morning. The team's going to lead us in a song called Hope Has a Name. There's a part that says, come if you're broken. Come if you're searching. If you need healing, he's where you find it. Lay down your burdens, breathe in forgiveness. If you need freedom, he's where you find it. And so I just want to invite us to come this morning. To come this morning to respond in worship, to embrace freedom, to breathe in forgiveness, and to experience the hope of Jesus that we have in our wilderness this morning. As we sing, you're more than welcome to to come forward to kneel and to pray. If you need someone to pray with, you're more than welcome. We have some people that will be over here, our prayer team, that will be more than happy to pray with you. And if you're online this morning and you want to pray with someone, uh, get in the chat. There's a way to request prayer. And we have some online hosts that will be more than happy to pray with you online. Or just pray with some people that you're watching in the, the room with you this morning. Let's come, let's respond, and let's worship to this good news this morning. That God has not been defeated by covid God has not been defeated by Thanksgiving meals spent on Zoom. God has not been defeated by rampant injustice, a crazy election, or the guilt and the shame or the sin that you feel entrapped by. No, Christ has come and is coming again. And in Advent, we may be a weary world, but we rejoice in the hope of Christ. A hope that does not disappoint and a hope that changes everything.